So I've got a question for you. How is it that you see Jesus? How do you view Jesus? When you think of Jesus, when you think of our Savior, what are the words that come to your mind when you think of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth? You know, there's many ways that we can describe Jesus, many ways. And you ask one person who Jesus is, they're going to give you one view. You ask another person who Jesus is, they might give you a whole other view. You ask a Christian who Jesus is, they're going to give you a specific view of who Jesus is. You ask a non-believer, they're, they're going to give you something that's totally different. But there's many ways in which Scripture describes Jesus. Jesus has many titles in Scripture. The Amen, the Alpha, the Omega, the author and perfecter of our faith, the bread of life the great high priest, the head of the church, the cornerstone, the holy one of God, the great I am, the light of the world, the morning star, the prince of peace, the lion of the tribe of Judah, savior, servant, the son of God, the son of man, the way, the truth, and the life. And we could go on and on and on listing his titles in scripture, but the one we're gonna talk about this morning is shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. And this is found in Psalm 23. One, this is probably the most famous psalm in all of the book of Psalms, the one that even non-believers can kind of quote. But if we, if we look at Psalm 23, one up here, it says, this is all I'm going to cover. You would think I'd preach in 10 minutes, but this is the only verse we're going to look at. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. And we're beginning a, a new series this morning called The Lord is My Shepherd. And so we're going to probably, we're going to go through Psalm 23. We're going to pull out all the messages from Psalm 23. And so we, me and Pastor Nate were looking at the series, kind of planning ahead, looking at what I was going to cover by starting the series and what he was going to look at. And we think maybe five or six messages, some really powerful truths that are in this psalm. But this morning, my job is to lay the foundation. And so this is what I want to do this morning. I want us to look at Jesus this morning. I want us to look at our shepherd. I think the term shepherd is one of the most powerful ways in which we can see Jesus. And when, when you think of the word shepherd, you get this kind of this warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart, right? You think of tender care, you think of a shepherd carrying a lamb and being gentle and kind with them and, and, and gently leading the sheep. And so that's the picture you get when you think of shepherd. And that's what I think of when I think of Jesus as our shepherd, a tender, loving God who cares and watches over and protects his sheep. So if Jesus is the shepherd, what does that make us? Sheep. Now you, now you must understand, that is not a compliment. When you, think, when, you think of, when you think of Jesus as a shepherd, that's a beautiful picture. And when you think of us as sheep, that's not a very good picture. Sheep are really dumb animals. I wrote down a few things here. Sheep are the most helpless, defenseless, straying and dirty animals. They require constant oversight and leading and rescue and cleaning or they will die. They will die. Sheep will walk off the side of a cliff if not tended to. They have to constantly be herded and, and, shepherd, and shepherded because they're just gonna walk in places they shouldn't walk in. Sheep will eat themselves to death unless the shepherd makes them return to the fold. They will literally just eat and eat and eat and eat until they die. The shepherd must make them lie down and stop eating so they will not die. 
And then sheep are the most defenseless of all animals. If you look at a sheep, and I did some research and looked at pictures of the, of the mouth that a sheep has, a mouth, the mouth of a sheep, there's like a bottom row of teeth. We probably should have put a picture up, but forgot about it. But just picture it with me. It's a row of teeth on the bottom, and there's no like sharp teeth. It's all just kind of flat teeth on the bottom, and they have no teeth up top. They just have gums up top. So what are you going to do if you're a sheep? How are you going to protect yourself against any animal? They are the most defenseless of animals, and they are prey to almost every animal, and even insects they can be prey to. This is a picture of who we are, people. <laughs> this is encouragement for us this morning. We are sheep. We're dumb sometimes. We will eat ourselves to death sometimes. We will wander and stray and get lost all the time. Being described, as I said earlier, being described as a sheep is not a compliment, but rather it is, a, it is the reality of the human condition. The, the picture of a sheep is the reality of the human condition. And a picture of that is in Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all we like sheep, have gone astray. All of us, that's me, that's you, that's everyone in, in this room, we are all like sheep, and we have gone astray. Every one of us, we have turned every one of us to his own way. All of us have a tendency to go our own way. All of us are born into sin with a sinful nature. All of us need the tender, loving, shepherding of Jesus in our life. We are, that, this is the human condition. And what we want to look at this morning is we want to look at our chief shepherd. And we're going to look at John chapter 10 just briefly. And I've got to give you some context for John 10 first. But, but we, we, we want to look at the good shepherd. And this is the title of, of the message this morning. We're going to look at the good shepherd. And we're going to look at four attributes of the good shepherd. Four ways in which Jesus, our shepherd, shepherds us and responds to us as his sheep. Now in John 10, if, if, if you just start reading John 10, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, you would wonder, well, who is he talking to? You would have to go to the previous chapters to figure out who he's talking to. In John chapter 8, Jesus has a discussion with the scribes and the Pharisees. And if you read there towards the end of John chapter 8, the scribes and the Pharisees basically say, we believe in Abraham. We believe he is our father. Father Abraham. And Jesus says something amazing. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And the Bible says in John 8 that they picked up stones to kill him. That's John chapter 8. And then you get to chapter 9, and the Pharisees, the, the scene changes, and now the Pharisees are there with Jesus, and there, there is a blind man, born blind, and Jesus heals this man, and the Pharisees are just like, what is going on here? This guy has a power from demons. There's no way that anybody can heal a man born blind. It must be the power of the devil. Is that what you would naturally think as a human being? I mean, these, these Pharisees were so caught up in their own religiosity and their own good works and their own self-righteousness that when they saw something good that had to be from God, they could not even acknowledge that it was from God. Because they, they were the center of what was good and true in their own mind. And what was right. Because they were the keepers of the law of God. The scribes and the Pharisees were. And so 
They couldn't acknowledge that Jesus was from God. And so you had this whole argument where the scribes questioned the man that was blind. And you had the famous saying where the man says, I don't know about your questions. All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. So whether you think it's from demons or not, that's up to you. Whether you're going to acknowledge this man to be from God. But I know this man is good and from God because I was blind, but now I see. And actually, what's so amazing is that these scribes and Pharisees, they tried to tell him that he was born blind because of something wrong that his parents did. And that's what they begin to dialogue. So they go to, the Pharisees go to the parents, and they begin to dialogue with these false shepherds of Israel. His parents dialogue with them, and they ask them the same question. What do you think? Who do you think this man Jesus is? And then you get John chapter 10, and it It is a specific conversation that Jesus is having with these scribes and these Pharisees who will refuse to acknowledge that he is from God. And when he describes himself as being the son of God, this is why they killed him, because they said it was blasphemy. And so this is the context of John 10. And and we're not going to cover verses 1 through 10 in John 10, but there's some powerful truths in there. This would be more than a 40-minute message if we did that, but... John 10, we have the powerful statements about Jesus talking about how he is a shepherd and he is, he is the door. There's no way to get into the sheepfold unless you go through the door. And Jesus is the door. He describes himself as the only way to be saved. He's telling this to the Pharisees. When you understand the context, it's so powerful. He's telling this to these group of, this group of men who are unwilling to acknowledge that he's from God. And he looks at them and he says, he says I'm going to tell you this figure of speech. He says, I'm, I'm a shepherd, but not only am I a good shepherd, I am the door to the sheepfold. And nobody comes in and out of the sheepfold unless they go through me. You cannot... Be one of my sheep unless you get through me. These are the same men that wanted to stone him and reject him and kill him. And he's looking at them. And he's telling them, I am the only way to salvation. I am God. And then we pick up verses 11 through 15. Jesus says this. This is where our message comes from. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares, cares nothing for the sheep. You know what Jesus is doing? He's comparing himself to the scribes and Pharisees. Let's go back to the text. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So we're going to look this morning at our good shepherd. I mean, I, I thought as I was praying this week about this message, just thinking about this, 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 this content and, and what we were going to share, this new series that we're starting, and I'm just thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about who he is and, and his attributes and what, he, what, what we see in the Gospels when we look at Jesus. And it's just so overwhelming to see the compassion and the love of Jesus and how he has responded, how he responded to people in the Gospels and how he responds today and what he's done. So I've just been so overjoyed doing this study. And I'm looking forward to the rest of this study. But this is just a foundational view. We want to set our bearings for this series on Jesus. This is a series about Christ and who he is as our shepherd. The first attribute we want to look at that we saw in John 10. That he is our good shepherd. But number one, the good shepherd is moved with compassion. 
In Mark chapter 1, excuse me, in Mark chapter 10, we have a story of the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler could be categorized similar to the scribes and the Pharisees who placed their trust in the works of the law and adherence to the law. The rich young ruler would have been in that type of category. And Jesus has a conversation with the, with the rich young ruler. This is in Mark 10. It says, and he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Just leave, leave the scriptures up there. Just think about this for a second. He says, the rich young ruler said, good teacher. Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What's he trying to do there? He's saying, you're calling me good, but are you calling me good because you see that I'm God? This is the point. Anytime Jesus has interaction with anybody, he's trying to get them to see who he is. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments. He's saying, okay, how are you going to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I've done all of these things. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. I love that. Every time I read that, I love that picture of Jesus. Here is a man, a young man that is so lost. He doesn't know up from down. He doesn't know, he doesn't know how to inherit eternal life. He's lost He's, he's like a sheep that is strayed, that has gone his own way. He thinks he can inherit eternal life through good works. Master, I've done all of those things. And Jesus is telling them, I want you to know that the way for you to have eternal life is to see that I'm good and to see that I'm God. Why do you call me good? Only one that's good is God. That's what Jesus wants him to see. And so he, Jesus sets him up to get him to see the heart of his problem. That's why Jesus asked him, you, well, you know the commandments. So he knew the heart of this young man, and the, his problem was that he placed his, placed his trust in his ability to keep the law. And Jesus says, I love that man. I have compassion on him. I want him to see who I am. Jesus looked at him and loved him. In Mark 1, you have the story of the man with leprosy. The man sees Jesus, and what does he say? He says, if you're willing, will you make me clean? It says in Mark 1 that Jesus was moved with compassion, and he touched him. And you know, that was an amazing, to pass over that, you missed the point of the whole story. Jesus' compassion led him to touch a leper. In those days, people that had leprosy, they were isolated and separated from society and culture. And if you touched them, if you even got too close to them, you were considered unclean and you became an outcast with them. But what did Jesus do? The scribes and the Pharisees wouldn't go anywhere near them. They had a certain number of feet that they would stay away from those that were lepers. But what did Jesus do? He was moved with compassion and he, he didn't just get near him, but he put his hand on him and he healed him. Our good shepherd is moved with compassion. Matthew 9, 35 through 36, I love I love this section here. Jesus is going about on his ministry journeys and he's preaching to the crowds and he's healing people and he's doing many signs and wonders and miracles. In Matthew 9, 35 through 36, Jesus says this. 
uh, it says this about Jesus. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Like what? Like sheep without a shepherd. They needed the good shepherd. And Jesus, I just love this picture of Jesus. I can just imagine right here, we probably have about 1,100 people in the room right now. But the crowds that followed Jesus were anywhere from five to six to 10, eight to 10,000 people because he was doing signs and wonders and miracles and people were coming to see what was happening with this man. How does he have this power? So these huge numbers of crowds. And he looks up and I can just, every time I've read that, I just picture Jesus, that Jesus is God. That means he is all-knowing. That means when he looks out at a crowd of people, he sees every need, every hurt, every secret cry, every concern, every fear in a moment. And there's thousands of people he's looking at. No wonder he was moved with compassion. And after this verse, verse 37, we don't have it for the screen, but after this, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that God would send forth laborers. For the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You, do, do you see that? It's so good. It's so good. He looks out. He has compassion on the needs of the people. And he says, I, I have come to be the source of their hope and their healing and what they need in this life. But I need workers who will come after me, who will give me to them. Such a beautiful picture of the compassion of our good shepherd. Jesus is filled with compassion for those that are lost and helpless, for those that are harassed by the effects of sin and brokenness. Who in here saw the picture on Facebook of the couple that overdosed on heroin with the four-year-old in the background in the back seat of the car? Just raise your hand if you saw it. Okay, so you guys kind of all know the context, those of you who didn't. I went back and forth. I asked my wife, I asked Pastor Clyde what I should do, if I should show the picture or not, and I decided not to. Uh, it's just a very hard picture to see. But you can imagine, as I describe it to you, you have two parents who I know beyond a shadow of any doubt never imagined that they would be like they were with their helpless, innocent four-year-old child in the backseat of the car. And here they are, overdosed on drugs, and they are, they are completely helpless. They're completely vulnerable. And when, when I saw it, you know, a lot of us, sometimes our reaction to that could be, Oh, that's so disgusting. Look at those people. Look at what they're doing. Look at their life. Don't they know what they're doing? And we can have a harsh, critical attitude towards people like that. When I saw that picture, I mean, I was just so broken for their brokenness. I was so broken for what they have been through. What, what did it take to get them to that point where they would, they would push back all of their maternal instincts, their, their parental instincts to protect their child, they would push that all aside and, and, and jeopardize the life of their four-year-old child in a vehicle. That takes a lot for a parent to do that. It takes a lot for a husband, it takes a lot for a father, but it takes a lot for a mother to do that, to push back that instinct she has to take care of her child. This is why Jesus was filled with compassion. And this is why we are filled with compassion on those who are lost and hurting. They need the good shepherd. No one intends for their life to end up in the gutter. Nobody intends for their life to end up overwhelmed with sin and brokenness. We don't, we don't start there. We start with the sinful nature, but we never think when we're children and when we're teenagers and when we're young adults, we never think, well, this is what I want my life to end up like. 
We're not like that. We have hopes and we have dreams. But because of our sinful nature, because of sin and brokenness and temptation in this world, people make wrong choices and they end up places they never imagined they would end up. And when Jesus looks at people like that and he sees the crowd, compassion wells up in him because he's saying, I'm good. I'm God. I'm the good shepherd. I am your answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes into the Father. Nobody can have eternal life except through me. I am the door. Jesus weeps over those who are blinded to the truth of who he is. We see this in the conclusion of our first point. We see this in Luke 19.41. This is right after the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem just before he's crucified for us. It says in verse 41, and when he drew near and saw the city, the city of Jerusalem, he did what? He wept over it, saying to Jerusalem, the people that he knew were about to crucify him. And listen, they were in this as a whole. They had an opportunity to release Jesus, Barabbas or Jesus, Barabbas or Jesus, and they said, crucify him. We want Barabbas. Give us back Barabbas. And he looks at this city and he says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. You can't see them. And how are people's eyes opened? How can they see? Through the gospel. And this is what we do. We must be filled with the compassion that Jesus has. If Jesus is in our heart, when we see sin and brokenness, we should not have scorn and ridicule and mockery over the brokenness that people live in. Any sin, any lifestyle, all of it, all of it. There's no categories of sin. There's no categories of sin. All sin separates you from a holy God. All of it does. And when we see sin in the media, on TV, in our coworkers, when we see sin, we should not judge them because of that sin and refuse to relate to them. If we refuse to relate to them because of their sin, then we are excluding from them maybe their only opportunity to see the good shepherd and to be set free. Now, do we see and acknowledge that their lifestyle and the things they do is sinful? Yes, and they have to be brought to the place where they can see that and they acknowledge that and they recognize that. But we have to have the same heart that Jesus has, and this is our good shepherd. He's moved with compassion. It's the second thing we see about the good shepherd. The good shepherd cares for the weak, the sick, and the injured. Just as in John 10, there was a comparison. Jesus was comparing himself to the scribes and Pharisees, the shepherds of the people of Israel, and saying that he's the good shepherd. We see a prophetic word of this in Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should you not feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And this is the people, Jesus, is, this is a prophetic word about the shepherds of the nation of Israel that he's speaking to in John 10. And listen to the beautiful, just as he did in John 10, he says, I'm the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd, 
In Ezekiel 34, God says this, verses 15 through 16, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down. It's like in Psalm 23. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The good shepherd cares for the weak, the sick, and the, inj- and the injured. This is our good shepherd. A picture of that can be found in the parable of the good Samaritan. And, and y'all have all heard, heard that the, the parable. Most of you have of the good the good Samaritan and what happened was Jesus is trying to communicate to the to the Pharisees and the scribes who their neighbor is and who they need to love and he tells a story and he says there's this man that goes on this journey and he gets beat up and robbed and he's bleeding and he's naked and he's half dead and and it says that some men passed by some multiple men passed by the first man was a priest and the priest passed by and looked at this wounded man that was half dead, barely alive, no clothes on, completely robbed of all that he had, and the priest passed him by. And then the Levite comes and passes him by. And then we see the conclusion, the good Samaritan stops by. And let's look at what the good Samaritan does in Luke 10. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man was. And when he saw him, what happened? Had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The actions of the good Samaritan that we see right here are a reflection of the heart of our good shepherd. Just as the Samaritan got down, he has moved with compassion, he got down and he bound up his wounds. This is what the good shepherd does. He cares for the weak and the injured and those that are hurting. And this is what the good Samaritan did. He bowed down and knelt and took care of his wounds and his injuries. Have you ever felt so weary and overwhelmed that getting out of bed was a big deal? You ever felt that weak? Yeah, got a brave one over there, raised their hand. Yeah, it's good that you were honest. (laughs) Not good that you were weak. But that's how we feel sometimes. We we can face so many situations in, in our life where we just feel completely overwhelmed. We feel like there's so much bad news. I think of Sean and Becky. I guarantee you they felt that way. How how am I going to get out of bed this morning? There's bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news, and nothing is going right, and nothing is working in my favor, and you can just feel so overwhelmed and so weak, you don't even want to get out of bed. You don't want to face the day because facing the day means there's another possibility of more bad news. There's another possibility that somebody's going to reject me, another possibility that somebody's not going to treat me fairly, another possibility of, of me experiencing pain and hurt and abuse, and you feel weak. Have you ever felt weakened by worry and fear? I'm afraid both my hands, my feet and my toes, everything. We all tend to be fearful and worry because we want our circumstances and situations in our life to work out the way we want them to work out right away, right now. We want our answers quick, but that's not how it works in life. Sometimes we get quick answers, but most of the time we get slow answers, slow responses. And we worry and we fear and we fret and we think, how can I pay the bills? How can I take care of my children? How can I be a good husband? How can I be a good wife? And you worry and you fret and you're filled with fear. The good shepherd cares for the weak and the worrier and those that are overwhelmed. Have you ever been wounded in your soul? 
wounded in your heart, injured in your heart, deeply wounded because of sin and brokenness? Have you ever been so wounded so deeply because of rejection? Because somebody that you loved, that committed their life to you, said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm leaving, and it wounded you, and you have years worth of calluses and wounds on your heart. The good shepherd cares for the wounded and the injured and those that are weak. The good shepherd binds up our wounds as we saw the good Samaritan did and pours on us the healing balm of Gilead. Gilead was a region in the Middle East in the Bible days that had trees that would grow and the resin that would come from those trees would bring healing to wounds. Jesus is the balm of Gilead, the healing resin that comes from Gilead. And he binds up our wounds and he touches us and he heals us and he restores us and he gives us hope for the future and he gives us peace. The good shepherd cares for the injured, the weak, and the hurt. Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31 says this. Have you ever heard? Have you, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary or weak. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in, in exhaustion. But those who do what? Say it with me. Trust in the Lord will find new strength. Some of you this morning, you need new strength. The good shepherd is here to tell you this morning that he has new strength for you. New strength in your weakness, new strength in your injury, new strength in your woundedness. He wants to heal the wounds and give you new strength, new vision, new passion. Amen? And what's going to happen when you're filled with his new strength? We will soar high on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk, and some of you feel like I'm, I'm, I'm going to faint. No, you will not faint. You will not, it will not be the end. You will get through it. Why? Not because you're strong enough. Not because you're going to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But because the good shepherd cares for you. Because the good shepherd loves you. Amen? The good shepherd cares. He cares for the weak, the sick, and the injured. The third attribute we want to look at this morning is that the good shepherd protects the flock. We can't talk about the... The good shepherd, unless we talk about his protection, right? That's such an amazing attribute of the good shepherd because what did we say earlier in the introduction? That sheep do what? They wander. They fall off cliffs. And they get eaten by other animals because they have no teeth up top that are sharp. They just gum things. The only thing they can do to hurt anything is to hurt the grass. And that's it. So we can't talk about the good shepherd without talking about protection. And what did... What did what did Jesus, just look back at John 10. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, not a shepherd, does not own the sheep. Hired hand sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches him and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care for the sheep. The good shepherd stays and fights for the sheep. What, what did David do? A picture of our good shepherd? He killed the lion. And he killed the bear to protect the sheep. 
That's what Jesus does, protects us. Now, are we talking about physical protection? Are we always saved from physical protection? Not always. Does God protect us at times physically? Absolutely. But what I want to talk about this morning is protection spiritually. And if you look in the New Testament, you're going to see over and over and over again, one of the main themes of the New Testament is protection against false prophets and false teachers. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, look out for false prophets. And how are they dressed? In sheep's clothing. But inward they are ravenous wolves. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, in latter times, some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to teachings of demons. In 1 John 4, it says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are, look, you can find, if you want to look for, if you want to find false teaching, it will not take you long. Just type something in Google. You'll get it real quick. It, it, it's there. I mean, there's so many, you know, and what, I did this one time uh, in one of my messages earlier this year. You know, how can we define false teaching and false doctrine? Any message and any teaching that downplays the significance of Jesus in the gospel, anything that points away from Christ as being our all in all, being our, the way of salvation and the source of our sanctification and how we grow in Christ. Any teaching that points away from Christ. So it might even be a teaching that tells people that, hey, you don't, you don't need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and the, the teachings of God's word to grow in Christ. You just need to live good. And you got to act good to be right with God. you got to do a lot of good works to be right with God. That's false doctrine. That's not true. When you got saved, what happened? You became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Man, I, I'm about to preach myself happy. You guys ready? Listen. Think of that for a second. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all have a sinful nature apart from Christ. And when we, put our, when we hear the gospel and we put our faith in Jesus, you know what God does? He takes the very righteousness of Jesus, perfect, sinless, spotless righteousness, and he gives it to me and to you. He clothed me in his righteousness. How does that happen? How is that possible that I can have the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? That when God looks at me, he doesn't see my weaknesses and my frailty and my sin. If I'm a Christian, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Man, that, we could go home right now, and y'all probably ready to, but man, that, that is so good. Any, any religious system or any type of teaching that points away from that is a false system. And so Jesus protects. And how does he, how does he protect us from false teaching? He's, one way he's provided. How has God provided for our protection spiritually? Ephesians 4. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. We skip down to verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And this, these, these doctrines, false doctrines that are going around, they're done and motivated by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. It's like those wolves. They're, they're, they're wolves. And they're coming out. And you know, another, another view of, of a false, one attribute of a false teacher as con compared to a good teacher and a true shepherd, a false teacher, a false shepherd is after the money. A false shepherd. You want to you know real quickly, 
Somebody you've seen on TV, somebody you look at their ministry, how do they present themselves? And what, 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 what do they talk about concerning money? Look at their lifestyle. A false shepherd, the, the end game is what they can get out of the sheep. That's what it said in Ezekiel 34. He says, you've been feeding yourselves. Should you not be feeding the sheep? Should you not be feeding the sheep, teaching them the truth of God's word? But instead, you're using the platform for personal gain. So he's given us shepherds. And this is what we do Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and Saturday morning Bible studies. I have to say this real quick. I love the men of our church. So proud of our men. We, listen, I, you, I don't know if all the church knows this. We have had, six, on average, 60-plus men for three Saturdays in a row showed up at 6 in the morning in the fellowship hall to hear how to study God's Word. That is so amazing. And that's what we do. Those are elements that we do as shepherds is we want to teach the truth of God's Word. I love our men. Our men are so awesome. Listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking in the book of Acts. You'll hear the heart of a good shepherd. This is Acts 20, 28 to 31. He's giving encouragement to the shepherds that are there, that they need to shepherd well. He says to these shepherds, pay careful attention to yourselves. Man, that's, that'll preach right there. That means you, shepherds, you've got to walk in integrity and in character. Pay close attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which is obtained with his own blood. Oh, help, help us, shepherds. Help us to care for sheep well. Why? Because Jesus sacrificed his blood and his life for the sheep. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, this is so good, for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, the heart of a compassionate true shepherd. Night and day, for three years, with tears, admonishing people to look to Christ, to watch out for false doctrine. The heart of the under-shepherds, as pastors, what, 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 what what are we? We're under shepherds. We're not the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We're under shepherds. What do we do? At the heart of the under shepherd to protect the sheep from false teaching is a reflection of the heart of the chief shepherd. So the good shepherd does what? He's filled with compassion. And what's another attribute? He, he, he cares for the weak, the injured, and the sick. And then a good shepherd is not a good shepherd unless he protects the flock. And God has provided for us to be protected by sound teaching of God's word. And lastly, final point this morning, final attribute for us to look at. This is one of my favorites. I love this of our good shepherd. The good shepherd leaves the 99 for the one. And this is found in a parable that Jesus told. There's three parables that he told. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And they all had the same heart and the same meaning, but we're going to look at the lost sheep. This is Luke 15, 1 through 7. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and eating with them. I thought this is so good. So because of that attitude, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story. Listen to this story. I'm going to expose your wickedness through a story. If a man 
has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what's he going to do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? In verse 5, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. So I asked the media team to find me a picture of what that might look like. And I think that, that probably would look, that, that, that would be it right there. That's a Middle Eastern man with a sheep on his shoulder. I could just imagine what he went through to go find that sheep. You saw the mountainous view behind him. Left the 99 and going after the one. Let's go back to the text. When he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed, strayed away. The rabbis taught, the rabbis taught that God would receive sinners who sought forgiveness earnestly enough. That's what the Jewish rabbis taught. If you worked hard enough and you sought enough, you sought forgiveness enough, then God would grant it. And that's what most people teach today. False teachers teach today. False religious systems. You work for it enough, you're going to get it. But here in Luke 15, God is the one doing the seeking. He is seeking the sinner. Such a beautiful picture. God's the seeker. God goes after those that are lost. God's not waiting. God's not waiting for the sinner to come and grovel in the, in the dirt to try to get back to him. He's not saying, when you have earned it enough, when you've worked hard enough, when you have kept all my law enough, then I'm going to love you. Then I'm going to seek after you. No, Jesus goes to the sinner. He goes after the one that is strayed. He goes after the one that is lost. He goes after the one that has blown it, that has made mistake after mistake. This is the gospel message. This is the heart of the good shepherd, that he goes after those that are lost. How, and, and how do we see how Jesus demonstrated that? How did he demonstrate that for us? Back in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. If you, if you think you haven't, because you think you haven't, you have. We've all turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord laid on him, the good shepherd, the iniquity of us all. For he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb. Wait a minute, this is the good shepherd. Thought it was a good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Says the lamb, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This right here in Isaiah 53 is the picture of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. All we like sheep, we're all sheep. We're all hopeless, helpless, lost, and we need somebody to save us. And what did God do? He sent the good shepherd to become a lamb. The good shepherd became a sheep for us. And the Lord laid on him the wrath that we deserved. The good shepherd became a lamb. The good shepherd became a lamb. The lamb slain 
before the foundation of the world so that we might become the sheep of his pasture. Amen. This is the gospel. This is the good shepherd. He's full of compassion. He's full of mercy. He heals our wounds. He restores our life. And he took our place on the cross. All we like sheep have gone astray. And he said, I want relationship with my creation. I want to be in a relationship with them. I want them to love me and worship me for all eternity. And I'm going to provide a way for them to get out from under the curse of sin. And the only way that I can do it is I have to bear their guilt and their shame on myself. And so the shepherd became a lamb. The shepherd became a sheep. If you look back at John 10, the specific context of John 10 is that Jesus is talking specifically about the nation of Israel and saying that he's going to gather his sheep all to himself. That's the, that's the context. And that's, to some degree, one of the main points of the story in John 10, that the nation of Israel is going to come back to him. He's going to gather all his sheep back to him, those that have been lost. But we're not left out of John 10. John 10, verse 16 says this, And I have other sheep. Is there any other sheep here this morning? We got any other sheep? You're the other sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they're going to listen to my voice. So there will be one flock with one good shepherd. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Just bow your heads with me this morning. I want to pray for you. I want you to see Jesus this morning as our good shepherd. I want you to be encouraged that he loves you. Your good shepherd cares for you. And he wants to heal your wounds, bind up your wounds, and he wants to, wants to provide for you. He's compassionate on us. I want you to see Jesus, to see his beauty and his glory, to be enraptured by him. Because this is going to be the foundation for the rest of this series. And I want you to see Jesus how good he is, how much he loves us. When we see Christ, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, they have a hard time looking for motivation to live right. I don't, you know, they struggle with it. If you see Jesus, that's all the motivation you need. You see what he's done. You see what he's done for you. You see how he's provided salvation for you and healing and deliverance and freedom from the curse of sin. And, and you see that, you see Jesus. That's all the motivation you need to follow after Christ. That's all the motivation you need to live in ways that honor him. you got to see Jesus. When you're reading the Bible, make a beeline for Christ. Look for the gospel in the scripture, in the Old and the New Testament. Look for Jesus. Amen. Look for our good shepherd. With every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you, you, you have not known the good shepherd. You're here this morning and you don't know the good shepherd. You are in a position of being lost and you've strayed and you have not been found yet you've not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and I don't know how I could not how I could not give an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel message we've talked about our good shepherd this morning we've talked about Christ and what a better moment in time in front of the body of Christ for people to acknowledge Jesus as their Savior and their Lord to turn 
from their sin, to repent of their sin, and to believe that Jesus was born and died and resurrected on the third day, to place your faith in the gospel, in the power of the resurrection. This is a great day to do that. So if you are out there and you are feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit in your heart and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, give him control of your life and ask him to come and take over. If that's you, I want want to see your hand. Is there anybody out there like that? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else want to surrender to the good shepherd this morning? Thank you, Jesus. I saw some hands. This is what we're going to do. We're going to ask that we would just all pray. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer. We can all pray it out loud. We can recite that prayer all together. And those of you that you, you know that's you. You know you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. And you know that's you. I want you to re- recite that prayer. And then after we dismiss, I want you to come find me and Pastor Freddie, and we're, and we're going to talk to you. Just every head bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for me. I recognize that I am lost, that I have wandered, and that I need to be rescued. I recognize that I'm a sinner and I acknowledge that Jesus is the only way for me to be saved. I repent of my sins. I turn to Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.